0: We are going to be talking money. I am so excited to introduce to you guys to Erin Lowry. She is the author of Broke Millennial. Broke Millennial takes on investing and forthcoming. Broke Millennial talks money, script stories, and advice to navigate awkward financial conversations. Her first book was named by Market Watch as one of the best money books of 2017, and by Business Insider as one of the best personal finance books for 2020. Erin's style is often described as refreshing and conversational. She has appeared on Rachel Ray's show, CNBC, CBS, and Sunday Morning, quoted and also quoted in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. She has written for the New York Times, Bloomberg, USA Today, and Cosmopolitan Magazine, and has spoken at Fortune 500 companies, SX, SW, and universities around the country. Erin lives in New York City with her husband and their rambunctious dog. Erin, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. Me too. No one likes to talk about money and it's actually one of my favorite things to talk about.
1: Mine too. I literally wrote the book on it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So can you give everyone, um, you actually have an upcoming book. Let's try to like dive into that. You have another book that's coming up. What, what other, what's the next book that's coming?
1: So that is Broke Millennial Talks Money, Script Stories and Advice to Navigate Awkward Financial Conversations. It hit shelves on December 29th, 2020. So the
0: okay.
1: the one bright spot for me of 2020 happens in the final days.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. But, you know, it's been a year, I think, that um, we're in a recession. And um, as we're recording this, you guys, we're, we're, it's it's November of 2020. It has been a year like no none of us have seen. Um, we're in a recession. There's a lot of people that are having financial hardships. Um, and a lot of people, we don't, we're not taught to talk about money. We're not taught to ask questions about money. We're not taught to ask for help. Um, what are your thoughts as far as this year and, um, a financial piece of advice that you would give someone that maybe is like feeling the pressure financially? Well, there's a
1: couple of things. And one of the first ones that actually kind of cuts against the grain a little bit is that, yes, we're in a recession, but we're also still in a pandemic. And I would say one of the most critical things that you need to be discussing is your estate plan. And I know we're starting out real heavy, but I do think that that is one of the most critical things that needs to get taken care of. And that young folks, I'm 31, but I understand why we're like, shh, we're fine. I don't need to handle that. Or it's, I don't have a whole lot of money. Why do I need to handle that? Well, estate planning goes way beyond your will. It also has to do with things like power of attorney, advanced health care directives, so that if something happens to you and someone in your life has to make a medical decision or another decision for you, you've assigned who that person is. They don't have to go to court to figure it out. It makes it much easier for your loved ones. And you have determined how you want things handled for yourself. You're not leaving people guessing about how to handle your medical care. Because talk about compounding a stressful, grief-riddled situation with even more stress. So I think one of the biggest financial conversations we can be having right now with partners, spouses, siblings, and of course parents is, is your estate plan handled as a young person? And also for your parents, what is their situation? Because we are still in a pandemic. And I think a lot of us were tired. It's been a long year. It feels like this pandemic isn't going away, but we're also heading into flu
0: season. And these are things that we have to talk about. And it's the things that we like. So, Erin, first off, we have a product called Start Preparing, which is this very thing. Um, Because I think that our life has taught us when you don't plan for the unexpected, it's sometimes when the unexpected happens. And of course, we never want anything bad to happen, but what the what if? What if something does happen? So you're basically saying set yourself up to minimize the stress, minimize the heartache, and get those questions answered so that there is no further stress in, in, in case something does happen.
1: Absolutely. And I think that is truly one of the best gifts you can give to your loved one and that they can give you is that in an already high stress situation, that's just one less thing that you have to be thinking about. And it is really important for us to also discuss well ahead of time so that we're not guessing. And like you said, you know, just because you're planning, it doesn't mean it's going to manifest and happen. And I think that that's sometimes why people put it off and think about you have house insurance or renter's insurance, you have auto insurance. It's not because you're hoping an accident's going to happen. It's because it could happen. So you're just playing a bit of defense and it is really important.
0: So with that being said, you know, everyone, we're encouraging you guys to call those loved ones and ask that question. One thing that you often talk about, too, is asking the question as far as retirement, asking parents, are they prepared for retirement? Can they afford a retirement? Um, How do you suggest people open up that conversation?
1: This is always a great question. And you know your parents, obviously, much better than I do. So I'm going to say a couple of suggestions because I'm not totally sure how your parents will be receptive. But most parents are not necessarily just going to respond if you flat out ask them, Are you prepared for retirement? Can you financially afford to retire? They might get defensive. They might feel like it's none of your business. And these are natural reactions to something such as a direct question, especially if your family doesn't have a history of talking about money. So, one of the easiest ways to get into this conversation is asking your parents for advice. Parents love to give advice. So, Asking stuff like, hey, I just started a new job and I'm trying to set up my 401k and I find this a little little confusing, could you help? Or if there's maybe a sense that your parents know that they couldn't help, you know they couldn't help, so that feels false, you could say something like, I'm finding it stressful to figure out how to set this up. How did you guys handle setting up accounts for retirement? And they might say, we don't have them. Or they might say, oh, I have a pension. It's not a problem. So you're starting to get context clues coming back to estate planning and wills. That's another example where it's like, Hey, we just got married. We just handled our estate planning just in case. What did you guys do? Or we're trying to get this done. What lawyer did you use? We'd love a reference. Gives you an in on whether or not they have that. So any way that you can ask for advice, it also could be using an example. Hey, my friend, Jackie's parents just retired and moved to Florida. What are you guys thinking about what you'd like to do in retirement? What does that lifestyle look like for you? So instead of asking, do you have enough money to do it? You're just asking, well, what do you want? What are your hopes and dreams for that next phase of your life? And that can also start to bring up information.
0: I think that's how we all respond a little bit better, though. And I think sometimes we just think of going direct and asking the direct questions. But getting curious and asking those questions, as you said, gives you the context clues. And and it makes a way for you know, that conversation to happen, but then what happens, you know, if, if if, that's becomes the problem though, if they can't afford and they can't, they, they do, you know, and I think that sometimes people want to have those conversations. They can't have those conversations or, you know, what is your advice there? Do you just tell people to learn to not stress over other people's financial situation? Like what is your advice there?
1: No, because I think that you are linked to your parents and I don't think that it is, Likely that people are going to let their family flounder. So they likely would take on the financial obligation. And I'm sorry to use that word to care for their loved ones if their loved ones can't financially care for themselves. So then it becomes playing a little bit of premeditated defense, if you will. So if you either get the information that your parents are not ready, but you've still got time, there's a couple different things you could look into. One, you and your siblings, if you have siblings, could sit down and talk about creating an emergency fund for your parents and that you guys as siblings contribute to this on a regular basis so that if there is a time where your parents need a bit of assistance, great, we've already been setting money aside. If your parents are younger, in their 50s or early 60s, don't have any pre-existing conditions or generally in good health, you could look into a long-term care insurance policy for them. Maybe you could even help purchase it. If they won't talk to you about money and you need them to go sit down with somebody and talk about how they financially can afford to retire, maybe you gift them a session with a certified financial planner, somebody who as an expert can go through and look and help them assess a plan. Another thing to consider is if you're starting to see warning signs such as your parents are starting to forget things, Alzheimer's runs in your family, you're getting concerned, talk to a doctor, specifically their doctor, and ask their doctor to encourage them to take the tests. So it's not just you that's pushing, it's also somebody else. Now the doctors, the CFPs, lawyers, they can't disclose this information to you, but they could be an ally in getting your parents to a place of knowledge or testing or whatever needs to happen to make sure you know. The other thing that I will also bring up in the conversation you can have is coming from a place of explaining how this can be a stress point to you, to your parents, and coming from a place of, I, you know, I want to have this conversation because it's causing me a lot of anxiety. We have a history of dementia or cancer or what have you in our family. So I want to make sure that everything is prepared before Something goes wrong because if something goes wrong, I need to be able to immediately focus on your care and not have to be thinking about all these other logistical, legal things. And legally, I might not be able to step in if you don't handle this paperwork preemptively. So I really need to talk to you about what this is causing me because I think parents sometimes also really respond to that—that that if they're doing something to put you in
0: distress. I agree. All right, so we've addressed parents. Um, what about? Um... You're entering into a relationship and you're 31 you're married um how soon do you feel like you have that financial conversation with um, someone you're entering in a relationship with
1: well there's a couple different levels of the financial conversation there's that kind of basic 101 where you're picking up those context clues based on what people say things that they buy do they use a coupon all that kind of stuff and you're just answering some basic lifestyle focus questions you know What kind of dates do we go on? If we take a trip together, who pays? How do we pay? What does it look like? How lavish are we? All of those kind of things early on. But you need to achieve what I call full frontal frontal financial nudity before you get engaged. So when you look at that person and think, I could spend my life with you, that's the time that you need to start initiating this very deep, in-depth financial conversation. And it doesn't have to all happen at once. You don't have to sit down for three hours and discuss all the nitty gritty. But slowly, you need to get to a point where you have all of the information from each other. We're talking all the debts, your income, your net worth, your goals, your investments, your credit scores, your credit history. And you also need to talk about, one, your emotional relationship with money why and how you relate to money the way you do. And also, if you think or you know that you're going to need to financially support a family member in the future, that's really important to disclose to a partner. I love it.
0: We are going to take a quick little break to hear a word from our sponsor.
1: This podcast is brought to you by StartPlanner.com, your tool for a more organized life. Featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Inc.com, Start Planner was created to meet the demands of today's busy lifestyle, helping you to plan, execute, and organize every aspect of your life in one concise system. Align schedules, to-dos, finances, health, wellness, goal setting, and clear action steps to all work together and drive results. Learn more at StartPlanner.com.
0: And I just think a lot of times people don't have these conversations or are afraid to have these conversations. Um, but at the same time, I also think it's really easy for things to happen in the past that can allow to project the future. Um, so I guess that's that emotional awareness you're talking about, like how do you feel about money or trust or, or all those things um, you have was one of your questions of how to broach the subject of prenup. So how, I, I'm, I'm actually not, um, I don't know if I should come out and say this, but I don't believe in prenups. So, Well, then I, uh, would, I would ask you, why wouldn't you believe in a prenup? Because I believe that you are entering into a relationship. Um, why would you need to not trust that person from the get-go?
1: Well, it's not about trusting the person. It's about the fact that there actually already is a prenup in place for you. And that's the laws of your state. Your state has already determined how if something were to happen, your assets and your debts would be divided in a divorce. So the question becomes, do you think that that's fair? The way that the state has determined the split of your assets. And if you don't think it's fair, prenups are a great way to have protections for both parties in place. The other thing, too, is I think what you just said is such a common misconception
0: about what a prenup is. Correct. Correct. And I, and I agree with that. I mean, I, I was only looking at it from one angle. Absolutely. Um, Cause there is, I mean, it's, it's, it's everything involved. Um, and especially if there's children involved.
1: Definitely um,
0: with that. There's,
1: yeah. And I also think too, that prenups need a top notch brand consultant because they have been kind of positioned as this, you know, divorce. Oh no, it means you don't love and trust your partner. I have a prenup and I can tell you, I love and trust my husband very much, but I also know we cannot predict the future. We do not know what will happen. Life is very long. And even to people who say, I would never leave my partner, you cannot control what your partner is going to do. But most importantly, I reposition prenups to just be an insurance policy on your marriage. Do you want to have to use it? Absolutely not. But what better way to go into a marriage than to have discussed every nitty gritty detail of your financial lives, everything comes out in a prenup discussion, including hypothetical scenarios. And they can get tense and it can be emotional, but it's such a strong situation if you do it right. Now, doing it wrong is going to somebody and saying, hey, I have some family money. My parents said you have to sign this. And if you don't, we can't get married. No, that is not how you go about a prenup conversation. And that's not why you should be getting a prenup. You should be getting one because there's things to protect, A, so particularly for people who are getting married a little later in life, or perhaps you have children, maybe somebody's already been married before, there could be an inheritance, there's a whole bunch of different reasons, or because you might live in a state where you look at the laws and think, yikes, this doesn't seem fair if something were to happen, so I want to make sure that we're being generous with each other and loving with each other in an appropriate way that feels right to the both of us. And... I do hope you never have to use it, and it's just a one-time lump sum that you pay up front, just like you hope that you never have to use other insurance policies that you pay for, but they're there because if something happens, it's nice to have, and it mitigates the cost on the back end. Divorce is very
0: expensive. And it's not even saying that someone is going to leave a relationship or decide to quit or you guys don't grow together or however it may be. It could be that someone. Passes away, you know. I mean, like you said, it's how the estate would fall, depending on um, how it would look legally for that state. So that's great conversations and and great advice for you know people just to not feel uncomfortable to have those conversations because I can guarantee you it should happen on the front end. You don't want it to happen on the back end when you're already married and you have issues or something comes up or something's not happening right. Um, But I'm curious then. As a relationship, do you encourage people to maintain separate money when they enter into that marriage or together money or what is your take on that?
1: Well, I think there are three main ways that you can handle money in a relationship. There's the totally joint, totally separate and the hybrid model. Personally, I'm a big fan of the hybrid model. And that is you have a joint pot of money that is how you handle most of your household affairs. It's the money that goes into your investment accounts and towards your bills and into your savings accounts. But then each of you has your own separate account that is just in your name. It's a checking account, or it could be savings if you want, that you get your, you want to call it allowance, you want to call it fund money, discretionary spend, whatever you want to call it, but a lump sum that you get every month that you can spend however you want to spend it. And the reason I personally really advocate for this is one, little money fights happen so often in relationships that are frankly kind of ridiculous, but just come down to values. So the fact that you and your partner are not going to value everything exactly the same. So if your partner sees that you spent money on going out to happy hour or getting a latte or buying a comic book or buying a new pair of shoes and they don't value that, they might nitpick at you. Where if you have a little bit that you each agree upon that you both get to spend every month however you want, that reduces some of the arguing. Now I think too with the totally separate, that's another instance where sometimes people think like, oh, you don't trust each other. Not necessarily logistically totally separate can make sense for some couples, particularly if it's a second marriage, especially if you have children from a previous relationship. For some people that just makes sense. My personal feeling is that it's a lot of work to bank totally separate because that's a lot of communication about who's paying what bills, is everything being paid on time, how are we handling everything, but it does work for some people. And then totally joint is kind of the classic advice on how to handle money in a marriage. And for some people, that works in a perfect alignment with both how they feel about their money and how they handle their money. But I do think it's really important to have that discussion as opposed to just making an assumption about how you should handle it in a marriage. And it needs to feel good to both parties.
0: Yeah. I think it's very important. Um, I actually run QuickBooks for my personal, uh, finances. I love that. Uh, So I have, you know, for my, all my companies and for my personal finances. So for me, the thought of like intermixing any of, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it would just be so complicated because I'm so detailed with knowing my numbers, my inflow, my outflow. I can run a chart of accounts and know where my expenses are going at any given time. Yeah. And that's um, a great I,
1: example of, hey, totally separate might be the and,
0: right route because you've got a system. And if your partner has a system, then great. So, but I think that it depends on people's personalities and also making sure you're assessing. What are your strengths and weaknesses? For me, I love numbers. I love budgets. I love finance. So for me, being detailed and handling all that actually is, um, like, I, I just enjoy that. <laughs> you know, but for some people, they might not even want that or handle that or, or would prefer to have someone else take lead. Does that make sense? So I think also in figuring out what system works, it's important to really know what your strengths and weaknesses are um, and, and figuring out what you would be best at doing depending on what circumstances.
1: It is. And I do agree that most relationships have a chief financial officer. I am also the CFO of my marriage because I too love the numbers and love playing around and simulating budgets and all of that. But on the flip side, if you're in a relationship, whether or not you're married, even if you're cohabitating with somebody It is really important that that other person can take on that CFO role if necessary, because if something were to happen to you, you want to make sure that they can pay all the bills, that that can be kind of a seamless transition of power, if you will. So that is a really important factor. And to your point, too, uh, with that, some people are just better at handling whether it's because of interest, which usually it is. You also don't want to try to force your partner to become quote unquote good at money by making them handle something that's not interesting to them or is stressful to them. That's a scenario that gets discussed in the book. One woman felt her husband kept overspending on credit cards. So she tried to force him to handle the household budget. And that just manifested in like late fees and overcharges because he wasn't good at it. So she just took over that role and he moved on to handle another area of their life. He did all the meal prepping and planning because that's something that interested him. So that actually balanced out quite nicely for them. She's like, it didn't work for me to just try to force him to handle the money in this particular way, because it was my method. And ultimately it kind of failed for her. So that's an important part to think about as well.
0: I love it. And you know, what I really love that you said is it's important that regardless that you can step in as the CFO. So even if you're not that person, that you can step in as the CFO and understand. And I think that money and finances are ultimately something that we're not always taught. We don't always feel comfortable with. But in my opinion, you need to get comfortable. You need to know your numbers. You need to learn it. You know, you need to know your income versus your expenses, your net profit. I mean, it's very similar to running. Running a household income is very similar to running a business just on a smaller scale. And like you said, regardless if you're the CFO or not, regardless if you're the one controlling those numbers, you need to be able to know that you can step in and feel comfortable. And if you don't ask questions, make this a point that to sit down with your partner or whoever it is and be like, I don't quite understand this. I want to be better at helping you or just, I think it's very important that we all stay informed.
1: Absolutely. And that is The most important part of all of that is that you are an informed participant in the situation. And if your partner is withholding information from you, that's also a big red flag and something that needs to get discussed because that
0: could be a sign of financial infidelity. Yes. All right. Well, is there anything that you want to leave everyone with? I want you to make sure to tell everyone where they can find you online. Um, be able to grab your book. I think that um this conversation and this what you're talking about, there's just not enough people talking about it. Um, it's it's such a vital, important thing. I think that financial stress and stress in general ripples throughout our whole lives. And we need a plan for financial um, you know, soundness. And I think if anything, this year is taught that we can't fully predict what's gonna happen financially. And a lot of times things are outside of our control. So what can we put in place to try to control those variables, not being so catastrophic to our lives? Um, I had someone last week said that, you know, uh, they were a flight, uh, a pilot for Delta. Hmm. Very well, you know, great job. And they said they were about to downsize. They were about to, you know, move, you know, this pandemic. What I'm saying is even if you are positioned yourself in a very strong way and you think I've got that degree, I've got that good job, the unexpected can happen. So having these conversations and coming up with a financial plan is there to, in the instance that something unexpected happens, it's not catastrophic. Um, So what would you leave with everyone as far as a last piece of advice and then making sure where do they find you?
1: Well, also on that, on the flip side, I think what's really fascinating is even if you have such a handle on your financial life and you're hitting all of your goals and all those milestones and you're investing and you're saving and you're on track. The talking is what can really ultimately throw a wrench into the whole thing because at some point you're either going to couple up with somebody or you're going to have friends who go through life things that they're going to ask you to pay for certain events or you have siblings who need your help or there are just so many factors or it could even be talking about money at work. Talking about money can still cause such a pain point even if you personally in your own financial household Are on really strong footing so that's why it is so critical that we learn how to in a healthy actionable appropriate way navigate these conversations and you can find broke millennial talks money wherever books are sold and currently before december 29th is available for pre-order and if you do pre-order it please email proof of that to team at brokemillennial.com i have a prenup discussion guide an are you your parents retirement plan checklist and an exclusive bonus chapter all for you if you pre-order the book as well. And you can find me on Instagram at Broke Millennial blog, on Twitter at Broke Millennial, and on the website BrokeMillennial.com.
0: Awesome, Erin. Thank you so much for leading this conversation and informing others um, so that they're just more informed and more financially sound. And it's just a very important conversation that we should be having with our loved ones, relationships, parents, um, and even ourselves. I think that we what you said in the very beginning, like asking those emotional questions, how do we feel about money? What were we taught about money? Um, I think it's just all about growing and evolving and um, having these conversations is important for uh, our financial future. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me and for opening the door to this discussion. Absolutely. Thanks, Erin. You can find any links discussed in this podcast in the description below. If you like this episode, please leave us a review and hit the subscribe button. It helps us so much. You can listen on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We are here weekly with brand new episodes. See you guys soon.